as of August 30th, 2023, is now two-thirds of the way until the end. Perhaps one way of thinking about that is that we have now heard both sides of a long-planned record designed to play at 33 and a third revolutions per minute. It is at this point where the metaphor perhaps falls apart, but I'm still curious to know, what are you going to listen to in the next 166,656 minutes or so? This is Charlottesville Community Engagement, always looking for a new angle. On today's program, Amazon Web Services announces they will invest $11 billion in two data center campuses by the year 2040. Charlottesville City Council and the Planning Commission learn that allowances for Airbnb and other forms of homestay will not be eliminated as part of the zoning reform now under consideration. Charlottesville seeks input on steps to keep improving on the city's accessibility. The Albemarle Economic Development Authority signs grant paperwork for biotech startup Agrospheres. The Free Enterprise Forum releases a periodic report on local government spending, and the Charlottesville City Council is briefed on ranked choice voting. Since the beginning of this newsletter, one Patreon supporter has dedicated their shout-out to an organization that seeks to draw awareness of the importance of native species to the ecosystem. As summer comes to an end and fall begins, now is the time to visit Plant Northern Piedmont Natives to learn what you can about what species are specific to your region. The partnership is part of 10 regional campaigns for 10 different ecosystems across Virginia, including the Northern Piedmont to the Eastern Shore. You can take a look at the full map of the regions below in a link in the newsletter for the Campaign for Native Species for where you are in the Commonwealth. You can also download a free copy of their handbook, Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. In this guide, Piedmont Native Plants are defined as those that evolved before the influence of European settlements that shaped and changed the landscape. Thank you to the shout-out for Plant Northern Piedmont Natives. Louisa County has announced that Amazon Web Services will invest $11 billion to build two data center campuses within two technology overlay districts. Here's a section from a press release sent out this afternoon. The campuses will position AWS as one of the largest private sector employers in Louisa and will create hundreds of new jobs. The county's website describes these technology overlay districts as areas within Louisa's growth area that are close to road networks and electric transmission lines. There are also areas where residential and retail development are not being encouraged. Supervisors approved the technology overlay districts in April, according to the Central Virginian. The vote to add the districts to the county's land development regulations was 6 to 1. Earlier this year, Governor Glenn Youngkin announced Amazon Web Services would invest $35 billion in Virginia by 2040. That now includes this investment in Louisa. In a quote in the press release, Louisa County Board Chairman Dwayne Adams said that the county is proud to partner with AWS to expand their operations in a world with a growing demand for cloud computing infrastructure. Amazon Web Services is looking at two specific sites, according to Louisa County Community Engagement Manager Cindy King. In an email, she said that they're taking a look at the Lake Anna Technology Campus near the North Anna Power Station and the North Creek Technology Campus near the Northeast Creek Reservoir. 
King said construction activity could begin as soon as 2024. The Board of Supervisors will need to enter into a performance agreement with Amazon Web Services. That agreement could also see the rebate of tax revenues with details to be worked out in the future. As Charlottesville plans for public hearings on a new zoning code, a proposed prohibition on short-term rentals of homestays has been pulled from consideration. Here's James Fries, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services. We've gotten substantial comment back, and in conversations with uh, various of my colleagues and, uh, and others in the community, we believe that this is a larger issue than we might have anticipated and one that we would recommend Uh, we kick out of this process and take up after the zoning ordinance is adopted. A consolidated draft of the development code released earlier this month had removed homestay from a list of accessory uses that would be allowed under the new zoning. That had not been included in previous drafts released earlier this year. Fries said this is one example of how the city's zoning code should be considered a living document that will be updated over time. He made his comments at a briefing given to the Planning Commission and the City Council on Tuesday. The intent here is for the Planning Commission to conduct a public hearing on Thursday, September 14th. Um, That hearing will be in council chambers, so note the change in venue, and begin at 4 p.m. Notice has been mailed to property owners in the city about the public hearing. Those who wish to speak will be limited to two minutes. Fries said it will be up to the Planning Commission if they would like to take a vote on a recommendation or if that would be done at a later time. Dates for action have been reserved for September 19th in City Council Chambers or September 26th at City Space. Once the commission is done with their work, Fries said council will hold their own work sessions on a range of topics. If any changes are to be made, a new draft will be produced for council before their vote. The plan is for council to also hold their own public hearing. Once adopted, the zoning won't take effect until a specific date after the day a vote is taken. Some projects currently in the process may have the opportunity to proceed under the old rules, but where that line will be drawn is not yet known. Fries also addressed another item that is not in the draft zoning code. The Comprehensive Plan's future land use map designated sensitive community areas, which depicted places where residents are subject to displacement pressure. We have not moved forward with an overlay or zoning specific to uh, sensitive community areas. I would note that a number of the recommendations that are in the sensitive community area recommendation page, if you will, and I went back and reviewed it today to confirm, have been incorporated into the general zoning ordinance. Fries said this includes allowing for more units to be built across the city and changes to allow smaller lot sizes in some residential zoning areas. He said there was a sense that restricting development in these sensitive areas would limit wealth building opportunities. If the, if the displacement is a result of rising taxes, there are other ways of addressing that issue as well. City Councilor Michael Payne said he did not support the lack of a specific overlay. I would expect that this will definitely be one of the topics we need to have a work session about. Um, I know it was pretty integral into the original plan and strategy and the connection to the affordable housing strategy. And I know just in the past week or two, this has been a particular interest to the 10th and Page Neighborhood Association. Fries pointed out that the comprehensive plan clearly states that specific non-zoning interventions may need to be made for each community. 
question for me. Who should do that work? The city government? Nonprofits? Individual homeowners? This particular part of the conversation is definitely not over. When this item arrives on Information Charlottesville, I will have a list of transactions that have taken place in those sensitive community areas since the adoption of the Affordable Housing Plan in March of 2021. To what end? Information. The city of Charlottesville is in the early stages of updating a plan that seeks to ensure compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. The federal legislation became effective in 1990 and requires localities to make sure that public facilities can be accessed by anyone. In Charlottesville, that means the update of a transition plan with work underway. The last version was adopted by council on June 3, 2013. Paul Rudasil, the city's ADA coordinator, said that an updated transition plan will help benchmark where the city is now and develop a roadmap for where they can be in the future. As part of the work, crews have completed a self-assessment of 165 miles of sidewalk owned by the city to identify potential barriers. This fall, the city's parks and other facilities will be reviewed, as will city services. Now, nothing in this community happens without a survey. There's a long-form version that takes up to 10 minutes to fill out, as well as a shorter one. You know what to do. Go fill out that survey. The city has hired the firm Precision Infrastructure Management to oversee production of the new ADA transition plan. There will also be a town hall meeting on September 20th. The Board of Directors for the Albemarle Economic Development Authority has ratified a performance agreement with a local company that seeks to expand its sale and manufacture of a new generation of pesticide delivery systems. Agrospheres has set up operations at 1180 Seminole Trail and was recently awarded $200,000 from the Commonwealth of Virginia's Development Opportunity Fund. There's also a $36,000 grant from the Virginia Jobs Investment Program. J.T. Newberry is Albemarle's Interim Director for Economic Development. They've committed to uh, $25 million of capital investment and creating 53 new jobs um, for uh, research and development and a test of manufacturing area. Agrospheres got its start as a laboratory venture at the University of Virginia. The company will be seeking to hire people with experience in biotech fermentation, plant molecular biology, and other types of scientist things. Payam Portaheri, founder and CEO of Agrospheres, told the EDA's board on August 22nd that 14 of those jobs have been created so far. And the facility isn't up and running yet, um, so a lot more jobs to be created. Um, we recently received um, organic approval for our technology that helps um, basically provide a controlled release of uh, biological pesticides. Portaheri said the technology is free of microplastics, unlike other delivery systems. Really excited about that. That's what we're going to be manufacturing here in, in Albemarle County. Approval from the United States Environmental Protection Agency is needed before the product can become commercially available. Portaheri said he's hopeful the green light will be given within a year. (music) 
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, Camp Albemarle has for over 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities. Are you looking to escape and reconnect with nature? Consider holding an event where the natural beauty of the grounds will provide a venue to suit your needs. Visit their website to view the gallery and learn more, and thank you for this shout-out. Two more segments to go today. A nonprofit group that tracks activities of local governments throughout the region has released their annual report of spending activity. The Free Enterprise Forum Local Government Spending Index is modeled after the statistical methodology used to calculate the consumer price index. That's from the introduction of the fifth Choices and Decisions Report. Data comes from the Commonwealth of Virginia's Auditor of Public Accounts, an office that produces a comparative report on local government revenue and expenditures. The Free Enterprise Forum whittles down the localities to Albemarle, Charlottesville, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson. Some highlights, Charlottesville had the highest per capita spending at $5,385 per person in fiscal year 22. Next is Albemarle with $3,643.90, then Nelson with $3,392.21. Then you've got Louisa with $3,356.56, and I wonder if I made a typo there. Maybe someone will tell me who only listens. In fifth, you've got Green County at $3,212.20, and Fluvanna has the lowest per capita at $2,836.63. What else is in the report? Take a look on the Free Enterprise Forum website or on Sevillepedia. The website was down today, as was Seville Weekly for some reason, and so uh, the report's still there. There's a link in the newsletter either way. Thank you to the Free Enterprise Forum for what they do. Should Charlottesville switch to an alternative form of voting that proponents say could increase participation? The earliest the city could make a transition to what is known as ranked choice voting is in 2025, but the five-member city council got a briefing at its meeting on August 21st. Taylor Yowell is the city's registrar. Instant runoff voting or ranked choice voting is a voting system where a voter can rank their ballot sequentially in order of preference rather than just getting a simp uh, single or limited number of candidates uh, for their choice of winner. Proponents of this method of voting argue that it can help expand the number of candidates who seek office. The votes are counted in order and individuals who receive enough votes to pass the threshold qualify for the ballot. If there are more slots remaining, the candidate who received the fewest votes is dropped from the second round. The process will continue until a winner has earned over the election threshold. That threshold depends on how many seats are available. This method was authorized by the General Assembly in 2020 as one of the electoral forms introduced when Democrats held both houses in Richmond. Here's Jim Nix, one of three members of the Charlottesville Electoral Board and the only Democrat. 
in the session of the legislature in 2020, a bill was passed uh, to allow ranked choice option for city council and board of supervisors elections throughout the state. In August 2011, Nix presided over the Charlottesville Democratic Party's use of a firehouse primary to select its three candidates for city council that year from seven candidates. He was not on the electoral board at that time. Here's Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook and then Mr. Nix. Yes, I counted the votes for it. Uh, well, that was fun. I was there too. The contest resulted in the nomination of Satyendra Huja to a second term on council, as well as the first nominations for both Kathy Galvin and Dee Dee Smith. Galvin and Huja got a plurality of votes in the first round, but Smith did not secure enough votes until the fifth round when she edged out Paul Beyer by 29 votes. Nix said the legislation that passed in 2020 has a sunset date of 2031. He said Arlington County used ranked choice to select two members of its county board in a primary race this past spring. It appears to have been successful. The, uh, the process worked as intended. Uh, the results were published quickly, uh, actually too quickly, but we don't need to go into that. Uh, the outcome was clear and unchallenged, and uh, public satisfaction was high uh, based on the results of some online uh, surveys that were done. However, Nix said criticisms have emerged about the tabulation method that had been used, and a decision has been made in Arlington to not proceed with ranked choice in the general election. He said one issue is that the voting software used only allowed voters three choices for the two seats. Charlottesville software would allow voters to rank six. The first time that Charlottesville could use ranked choice voting would be in the June 2025 primary, when the seats held by Juan Diego Wade and Brian Pinkston would be up. That's less than 22 months away. Yowell said only the city council races could be conducted with ranked choice voting and not the school board races. She said there would be a cost associated with educating the public about how the new process works should council decide to proceed. Yowell said the city should also update to a new version of its Heart software at a cost of around $4,000. For more details, view the video of the meeting that's listed in a link in the newsletter to the city's streaming service. Now, a factor to consider and a question to you. This year, five candidates sought three Democratic nominations for three seats on council. Only three candidates are on the ballot this November. Only five people submitted paperwork to be on the school board ballot where there are four seats up. Only four qualified. If any locality pursues ranked choice, what steps might be taken to encourage more people to actually run? Good question, and it's one that Community Engagement, Charlottesville Edition, will continue to ask. But we're done with the asking, and because now we've got six segments in this installment, two more than anticipated, when I began writing early this morning. In the three years of this newsletter, it seems to have become an afternoon newsletter, which harkens back to my childhood when my family got a freshly printed paper around 5 p.m. every day. There's been a ridiculous amount of change in my 50 years, and I think one thing that remains the same is a need for as many people as possible to know what's happening. This work is about establishing a common set of facts, which is why I make as many links to other periodicals as possible. For now, it's just me doing the work with the aim toward eventually getting one of these out by 5 p.m. 
every single day. It's a good goal and one that motivates me. If you've not done so yet, please do consider a paid subscription through Substack. And if you do, Ting will match your initial subscription. Details for that in the newsletter. Got to get on to the next one. The next one will be out on Friday, September 1st. That's the end of August, everybody. Take a clap, take a bow, and goodbye.